If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and I want to invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you need to grab one. Um, if you need to borrow it, you can borrow it. If you need to keep it, it's our gift to you. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open that and find our live event right now, either by searching by geography or you can link to it from one of our uh, social media pages or something like that. Acts chapter 4, okay? Uh, let me start here by just reinforcing, I guess, something that we've, we've tried to do uh, every, every couple of weeks here, because all throughout the book of Acts, as we study, we've seen it so far, we're going to continue to see it. There's two things, there's two rails, if you will, upon which this whole book runs. One is the inward transformation uh, of the people of God. So whenever they encounter the gospel, they believe the gospel, the spirit comes into their lives and takes over their lives, stuff changes, okay? They're not the same people, and God let it be for us that when we hear the the gospel, receive the gospel, believe the gospel, encounter Jesus and the spirit of God takes over in our lives. May we not be the same people either. Otherwise we should have slept in this morning because it's time change Sunday, right? I mean, like if we're going to come to church and be the same people as we've always been, that's not even worthwhile. But if the spirit of God is in the process of transforming us, really changing us from the inside out, that's what we want. And so uh, one of the rails that this book runs on is ongoing inward transformation. The second part is that inward transformation doesn't stop with us. It actually expresses itself outward. And so we talked about that second rail is um, ongoing outward ministry. As God changes us on the inside, we then look outward to those around us and see all the things that God is doing, wants to do, um, and, and uh, is planning to do. And so we got ongoing outward ministry. Those are the two things. Those are the two rails. It's the, the love dub of the heart of the book of Acts. It is, the, it is the rhythm in which this book operates. And so in Acts chapter 4, we're catching up on some of that. Uh, just quickly, Acts chapter 3. Three, a guy gets healed. He's been at the temple gate. Uh, Peter and John, um, uh, in the name of Jesus, heal that man. They bear witness to this to the crowds that gather. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we're picking up this story. And as they were speaking to the people, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, who's kind of like the security force, um, and, and the Sadducees came upon them. And then I love this phrase. I love how honest the Bible is greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, greatly annoyed. Anybody get greatly annoyed this week? Did you try to drive downtown? Uh, and all the construction or 610 or 288 or any of that, right? You get greatly annoyed. Uh, maybe your boss or your boss's boss or whoever decreed from on high and, you know, it all ran downhill on you and here it is. Uh, uh, there, there are other things that happen, other places where you and I get to go and be a part of this, where we get to experience something that would be greatly annoying. I brought this up in the 830 service. Um, anybody, a grammar person in here, like you just... You're locked in on grammar, and when there's a misspelling or a typo, you're like, no, 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 no. Like, this is important because we're from Texas. Y A apostrophe L L is not how you spell y'all. <laughs> it's you all, people. It's Y apostrophe A L L, okay? For all of you imports, now you know. Uh, we did have a governor, then president from the state of Texas, uh, who, who also pronounced, uh, it came up 
in a conversation this week, somebody uh, was talking about uh, the meeting that may or may not happen between uh, the Americans and North Koreans and how they were going to talk about nuclear things. Nuclear? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, they should be talking about those things. If they talk about nuclear things, I'm not so sure. And you're thinking, why are you up here? Because that is, what, that is just a taste of what greatly annoyed looks like, okay? Greatly annoyed. That's what that looks like. In particular, in particular for this group at, at the end of verse 1, the Sadducees came upon them. The Sadducees were part of the ruling council. There were two basic uh, uh, groups in the ruling council. One was the Pharisees. One was the Sadducees. Pharisees were fairly strict adherents of the law. Sadducees were basic sellouts to Rome so that they could keep power. Um, and they did not believe, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, so when Peter and John stand up and say, hey, uh, Jesus has healed this guy. You, you killed him. He rose from the dead. You judged him unworthy. God judged him worthy and raised him from the dead to prove it as such. The Sadducees are like, this is annoying. It goes against everything, everything that we uh, say, teach, believe, whatever. When you and I stand up and, and give witness to, give expression to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done, there are two groups that get wrapped around the axle. Number one is this religious group. This, this kind of group that says, hey, we're protecting the temple. Hey, we're protecting our rules. We're, we're doing the things that we know we're supposed to be doing. And you need to back off. You need to not talk about this Jesus and how he's been raised from the dead. To the, for the religious, it sounds like heresy because it's something along the lines of, hey, Jesus has already paid for our sins. You don't have to go around trying to redeem yourself. He is the one who has brought redemption to you. Why does that sound like heresy? That should be the greatest news of all time. It sounds like heresy if your entire life and your entire understanding of the world is based on this, that I need somehow to make myself right with God. Some of you grew up with that. Some of you grew up with that kind of system, that kind of thinking. Uh, you may have gone to church where they talked about Jesus, but really it was you who was going to make yourself right with God. The good news of Jesus, church, the good news that annoys the religious is you cannot make yourself right with God and you don't have to try. Jesus has done it for you. Now, you get the Sadducees, who are much more irreligious. Again, they compromise. They compromise with Rome to stay in power. For the religious, it sounds like heresy. For the irreligious, it sounds like foolishness or idiocy. I mean, it really does. They start thinking like, raised from the dead? Who are you kidding? Nobody, we saw that guy just a few weeks ago get crucified. He's not up from the dead. You guys are making this junk up. Jesus is God, the Son of God, the very Messiah. <laughs> you're, you're an idiot. I need forgiveness? No, 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 no. I'm in the ruling class. God obviously loves me more than all the rest of you sinners. It sounds like, it sounds like idiocy. You and I, we have people in our lives who are like that, though. For, for the religious, it sounds one way. For the irreligious, it sounds another way. Um, Paul actually picks this up in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to, you can flip about 30 or so pages to the right uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and just a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. I'm going to go ahead and start reading if you can catch up there. For the word of cross is folly. 
It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's a mouthful, but basically what he's saying is this. Uh, Paul, Paul is saying, hey, God, he, he, in his wisdom, this is how it works, he uses things that look not wise to the world in order to bring true wisdom into the world. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. That's the religious demand signs. The the irreligious seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, literally a scandal, a scandal, a stumbling block to Jews and folly or stupidity or idiocy to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For the religious, for the irreligious, the message of Jesus is greatly annoying. Here's the thing. Why is that? Because if you're in here and you fit into one of those two categories, and you do, you, everybody, both of those groups, everybody in there has something to lose if the message of the gospel is true. But everybody has everything to gain if the message of the gospel is true. So they preached. They brought forth this message to the religious, those in the temple, those hanging around the temple, those in the leadership of the temple, and to the Sadducees, these irreligious, compromised folks. What happened? Verse 3. And they arrested them. Awesome. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It was already evening. So just pause here. Uh, The consequence of this for those who bore witness to Jesus is trouble. Trouble. They, They went to jail, and they went to jail overnight. Some of you have been in jail overnight. You know what this feels like. Some of you should have been in jail. Your heart's pounding a little bit maybe right now. You, you know it's, it's just long enough. It's just long enough to not know how it's all going to work out. Just long enough for all the fear, for all the stuff, for all the questions, for all the did I do something wrong? Am I still doing right? Is God still with me? It's all, all of that stuff begins to bubble up inside. It's just long enough. And God lets that kind of stuff happen to his, to his kids. It forms character in them, all of that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. The, the, don't miss this. It's trouble for those who bear witness. It's trouble. Why is that? Why, why bring this up? Because at some point, following Jesus and speaking up for him will cost us something. We talk about that in here right now when it's not costing us much, if anything, so that when it does cost us something, none of us are caught off guard. So then none of us are, are, are thrown off and go, oh, I didn't know. Listen, it's trouble for witnesses. There is a strain of teaching that claims it masquerades itself as Christian that says, hey, if I follow Jesus, everything in my life is going to be smooth sailing. All of my stuff is going to go up and to the right. Everything's going to be just fine. There's a word for that. Baloney, right? I mean, like that is what the pastor that I grew up with, that's what he used to say. I got a Greek word for that. Baloney. And that's, what, that, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
There are whole books of the Bible. There are examples in the book of Acts. There's all of this kind of stuff that says, listen, following Jesus at times will put you into trouble. It's better to talk about it now so that it doesn't catch us off guard later. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, the apostles who desire to live a godly life in Christ... That's not what it says. Some of those who desire to live a... What's it say? How many? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Let's pause before we get to the other part. Who doesn't desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? I mean, he came to earth. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially. He rose victoriously. He ascended gloriously. And one day he is returning. Like, who doesn't want to follow that guy? I'm in with that. Yes, let's live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Indeed, all who desire to live that kind of life, this godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. At some point, it will cost us something. What do you do when it does? You you know, number one, you're not alone. You're not the only person to ever experience this. You're certainly not alone. If you're in a jail cell because you were preaching the gospel, Jesus is with you. You're not alone. And secondly, the call is to be faithful to the very end. No matter what that end looks like, the call is to be faithful to the very end. Jesus actually talked to them about this beforehand. Let me just read this to you. Uh, You can write it down. If you're following along with the app, it should pop up. But this is Luke um, chapter 21. Listen to what he says. Jesus is speaking. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This is going to happen, Jesus says to him. And when it does, don't stress it. Don't worry about even what you're going to say. I'm going to give you something to say. That's not the only consequence, though. I love this. Verse 4, in in chapter 4, back in Acts 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Many who heard the word believed and a number... One consequence for those who ministered, for those who proclaimed the the truth of who Jesus was, trouble. But but for the people who heard it, for the crowd, if you will, salvation. Trouble for the people who spoke about it, for the witnesses, and salvation for the crowd, for the people. That's an incredible thing. You think about that. They went from 3,000 in chapter 2 to 5,000 here. God just seems to be taking this message and doing some pretty incredible things with it. If trouble is what caused this kind of growth, man, that's, that's amazing right there. That's incredible right there. And we need to hold on to that, that, that God is sowing these seeds and is going to bring, to bring spiritual fruit. It is going to be born. The kingdom will increase. Um, life change will happen. Transformation will come. People will be brought out of darkness um, and into light. Light will overcome darkness. And life will overwhelm death and and freedom will break the chains of bondage and and, uh, forgiveness will cancel sin and on and on we can go. This is how the gospel um, changes people's lives. It brings people into the kingdom just like this. 
That's the second consequence. Man, it's trouble for the witnesses, but, but, listen, it is salvation for the people in the crowd. And there are folks in our life who need that. Here's a question. Why why does Luke roll out this number, 5,000 people? Is that number important? This is, it is important because of this. Every one of these 5,000 people had a name and Jesus loved them relentlessly. And the people on your block and the people at your work, people on your soccer team, every one of them has a name and Jesus loves them relentlessly. This is the consequence. That's the consequence. Okay, so, so what is the message? What did they say? In verse 5, continuing on here. <clears throat> on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Luke takes the time to name some names there, not because he's dropping names, because he's saying all the power players in Jerusalem at the time were there. They had the power of life and death. They had the power of imprisonment or freedom. They had the power of uh, liberating folks or uh, beating them and sending them on their way. I mean, they, they had all the power. If anybody has power in Jerusalem over Peter and John in the world's eyes, it's this group of people who gathered, the, the elders, uh, the leaders, um, the scribes, and then Annas and Caiaphas, John and Alexander. Verse 7. And when they, they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? The fact that they had done it, the good deed had been done. That was, that was unmistakable. Now the people are going, hey, how'd you do this? What's the, what, what's the thing? Verse 8, Peter answers. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we not miss that? Does that sound a little bit like, hey, when they set you before the kings and the rulers and that kind of stuff, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't stress it. This is your opportunity to bear witness. I'm going to put something in your mouth for you to say. Does that sound like that? That's what it should sound like. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man uh, is standing, by him, excuse me, this man is standing before you well. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, does that sound familiar? This is exactly what Peter said in chapter 3. That's why the title of the sermon today is Re-Preaching the Same Sermon. (laughs) Here's a little hint. Preachers are prone to repeat themselves. Why, though? Because we don't have new material. (laughs) (laughs) If we do, that's bad. The things that Peter said here are the things that he said in chapter 2 and the things that he said in chapter 3. Y'all killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this. Why does he keep saying this? Number one, this is not a peripheral issue, and it's not something that you kind of get founded on and then move from. It's not a springboard. 
This is what they knew. And more than anything, he wanted to preach what he knew. And the more he preached what he knew, the more he knew it deep down in his bones. And the more he preached what he knew, the more he began to see and understand how that affects everything else around. There's all sorts of challenges that we're going to see in the book of Acts that come. People, how do we, how do we get Jews and Gentiles together in the same room? How do we go about uh, uh, evangelizing the world? Like all of that kind of stuff. But all of that was coming. They hadn't worked all that out. The church is just a few weeks old at this point. They got questions galore. But what they don't have a question about is Jesus has died at the hands of sinful men. And he has come back from the dead by the power of God. And he has commissioned us as witnesses. They knew that. And the more they said it, the more they knew it in their bones. Church family, listen to me. The more we talk about it, the more we know it. And the more we know it, the more we get to see the world through that lens and understand what's really happening around us. That's the message that he's preaching. It's, it's the same message as last week. There is a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. Peter says, page turned on me here. Peter says in verse 9, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? In other words, this guy's up, he's walking around, he's jumping, he's praising God, he's doing all of this kind of stuff. If you're wondering how that happened, let it be known to all, to you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this is how this guy is standing doing, uh, doing the things that he's doing. He's saying, man, you think this healing is great. Listen, it's just a small picture of what Jesus is really doing. You think uh, that this guy getting up and dancing is something uh, amazing. Let me, there is a much bigger picture at play. There is a God who's not just going to fix ankles and knees and tendons. There is a God who's going to fix the world. How's he going to do that? By sending his son to die for sin and by uh, bringing him back from the dead as the victorious Lord of all. That, that's the message. He keeps preaching this. There's a bigger picture. He brings it home to them when he says, um, you, you crucified him. You are the one who did this. And in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118 there. Don't miss what he's saying, though. Hey, here's a guy. He was lame. He's up, he's dancing, he's glorifying God with this. You, 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 think that's, you think that's the story? That's not the story. You guys rejected Jesus, but God has taken him and he has placed him right at the center. He's not just fixing ankles, he's gonna fix the world and Jesus is gonna be the cornerstone for all of that. That's the bigger picture. And Peter keeps saying this because he gets opportunity to, to, to say this, and he's, he's knowing it in his bones. He's, he's knowing it. He's embracing it. And as he, as he does so, this, this witness becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. And then he continues on in verse 12. There's a bigger picture. And secondly, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Secondly, is Jesus is the only way. There's a bigger picture. 
And Jesus is right at the center of that. Don't, don't miss it. He says, Jesus is the only way. Well, I thought religion would be, the, no. I thought this other thing would be, the, no. I thought this thing, that thing, there's not enough stuff that you can do to make yourself right with God. Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. And that frustrates the snot out of our culture these days. Because they hear that exclusive message as judgment. It, it, it is contra to the dogma of our culture that that exclusive claim is judgment. And I, if we're honest, it's a very exclusive claim. There is one way to God. All roads don't lead up the same mountain. They don't end at the same place. Far from it. There's one way, and that's Jesus. But inherent in that exclusive claim is the most inclusive offer that has ever been made to anybody. Jesus died, arms stretched out wide as a symbol that's saying, hey, I will embrace anybody who comes to me. He said as much in John chapter 6, he says, those that the Father draws to me, in no way am I going to push away. In no way am I going to cast out. Anybody who comes, I am glad to embrace. I'm glad to give them forgiveness and life and freedom and, and a, a name and a part of a family and a part in my story that I'm telling. I'm, I will do anything. And you think to yourself, that's really great for the guy down the row here. He seems to be doing okay. The stuff that I brought into the room today wouldn't fit in a U-Haul trailer. The things that I'm struggling with in my marriage, in my parenting, in my own life, in my thought life, in the, the addictions that are uh, surrounding me, the, the, the patterns that are in me, the relationships that are just stifling and just wearing me down here, like all of that stuff, all of, that st all of the stuff that I'm hauling around here, Jesus is not going to take me with that. Great news. There's only one way to be made right with God. He himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to be made right with God, and the good news is Jesus is in the business of making people right with God. Well, I can't bring all of that. That's the only way he takes you. That's the only way. You come to him as you are. And lastly, the message is, there's a bigger story. It's not just a healing. It's a kingdom coming. It's not just a man leaping. It's about the king. And that king, Jesus, he's the only way. And then lastly, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's the third part. You must be saved. Again, that sounds pretty obnoxious to some people. You must be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Save from the death that follows. Save from the wrath of God justly applied to people like you and like me apart from Jesus. The good news that we proclaim is that Jesus has stood in our place where we deserved um, that death and that wrath. Jesus has stood in our place. He became the substitute for you and for me. He became the one who put himself in a position between us and the hammer that was dropping. He is the one who has taken our place. He's our substitute. And we must be saved. We must be. Otherwise, we will spend forever apart from him. Church family, you got people on your street. They must be saved. Otherwise, they will spend forever apart from him. The people we prayed for earlier, 
they must be saved or they will spend forever apart from him. There's a bigger picture that God is drawing here and it involves Jesus as the cornerstone, the only way. And that message is you and I and everybody else, we must be saved. And if you're here this morning, and that's not a part of your story. You've never given your life to Christ and received the forgiveness that uh, comes from him and the life that he offers. Today can be the day. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then I'd love to meet you at the back and start a conversation about that. If, you, if it's preferable for you, you can mark it on the little tear-off portion of your card and just bring it back there or drop it and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll respond with a song. Um, Father, for these few moments, I just want to express my gratitude. Thank you for the truth in them. Um, thank you, Father, that uh, when we stand up and bear witness, there's fruit that gets born, even if it hurts a little on us, even if it costs us something, there is fruit that gets born. prayerful today, heavy even today uh, for folks in the room who are struggling in their relationship with you. Lord, I, I ask that you would do in them whatever needs to be done. Bring conviction. Bring help. Bring a voice of wisdom. Bring clarity. We put that in your hands now. We believe. We believe that you, Jesus, are the one. You're the cornerstone. You're the one that God's going to use to set everything right in the world. And we're grateful to be a part of that. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one more song. If we can pray with you about anything, if you need to know more about what it means to follow Jesus and experience this salvation that we talked about this morning, I'll be at the back. You make your way that way. Let's sing, church.